It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, with me, a celebrity gardener that I'm super excited about, guys, because long-term WSB Radio listeners, you know this man, and what he does goes hand-in-hand with what we do as gardeners and how we plan our seasons and just plan our outdoor time. WSB Radio meteorologist Kirk Mellish, welcome to Green and Growing. It's great to be on the show. I cannot believe I have not had you on. I'm embarrassed. I have been on six months and haven't had you on yet. So welcome, welcome. I thought this would be a really good time for you and I to kind of catch up and, you know, maybe uh, educate some folks about the weather patterns and things. But just with the change in season, I'm partial to fall. Are you even allowed to say that you have a favorite season? Can you do that? I think it's against uh, AMS, American Meteorological <laughs> Standards, and uh, probably get in trouble with some union somewhere about <laughs> something. I, I like every every season except winter. You know, spring and fall both have so much to, to offer in terms of color. And uh, I love the spring because the weather's comfortable, the green's coming back, color's coming back into mm-hmm. life. You know, you got the whole summer of in normal years of fun ahead. But I do like the fall colors and the crispness of the air and being able to uh, open my windows, uh, you know, at night. And there are a couple of months where I really don't use the furnace or air conditioning at all. So it's like a a free ride from Mother Nature because I regulate the temperature of the house with the windows open or or shut. And it's just perfect. First, we're going to focus on fall. My favorite season, I can say it proudly. I already upset people on Twitter. You know, you have an opinion. And someone somewhere <laughs> oh, is going to be mad and argumentative. Oh, that, that Yeah, guaranteed. that is not my favorite season. Well, guess what? It is. So a week ago, uh, you were on during Atlanta's Morning News with Scott Slade, and, and you do this quite often. You gave out your autumn outlook, and it was fantastic. And I remember last September, I felt like we got a little shortchanged because it stayed so hot. So catch the listeners up to speed if they may have missed that. What can they expect? Well, that's right. It does look like uh, we're going to continue what's basically been, oh, I I guess nine months now where our temperatures have averaged warmer than normal. And I think that's that's trend is going to continue through our fall. So uh, over the next three months, uh, obviously not every day or every week or every month, but over the fall period, I think temperatures are going to average uh, warmer than normal. That's okay. That's doable. We can handle that. And mention in some of the models and the forecasts and all of that of La Nina. And just, you don't have to really break it down that much, but for us common folk, what what does that mean? Or what are we looking at there? When we talk about the El Nino or the La Nina, we're talking about sea surface temperatures in the Pacific Ocean, uh, closer to the equator and especially the dateline. And La Nina means that the, those Pacific waters are cooler than normal and El Nino would be if they were warmer than normal. And this uh, year we're expecting uh, a La Nina, and uh, that has an impact on the fall and uh, on the winter weather, provided that it continues to uh, develop as we expect. Uh, And if it does, then uh, not only does the fall look uh, not particularly hot, but uh, just a little bit warmer than normal, uh, it also looks like we'll stay wetter than normal uh, here in September, uh, but then as the autumn goes on, we'll start getting drier and drier. And based on a La Nina, if uh, past La Ninas are any indicator uh, of this one, mm-hmm. uh, it looks like we may have to wait until the month of November before we see a month where the temperatures average uh, below normal. 
Now, that's the best, thank you, most common explanation. That was really, really good of explaining that and that trend. So we can't wait to get relief from the heat. You know, gardeners, it just fall feels like spring and that we're ready to get outside, tidy things up, do some planting and a little pruning and even seed our lawns. And Walter and I. Oh, sure. Yeah, Walter and I. I know you listen to the Lawn and Garden Show forever and ever. And he and I just had a conversation in the last hour you know, folks are starting to think about they can go to the nursery now and, and get their cool season vegetables and pop them in the ground. But uh, what would you recommend? Maybe just a little more water than normal if it's going to stay a little hotter? Yeah, I think so, uh, because the evaporation uh, rates are going to stay higher than normal. Uh, and then even when the temperatures drop down some, we're still going to be looking at uh, pretty dry air in October uh, and on into November, even as the temperatures uh, drop. So from a gardening standpoint, folks, that is exactly why you want to water early in the day or later in the evening, and you water at the base of the plant, not over the top and over the leaves and all of that because there's more evaporation that way. If you water down at the base, it can get to the roots a little more directly and a little more quickly. Uh, Kirk, you said in your Labor Day weekend blog here not too long ago, the highest official temp for the whole summer may have been around, I think, 96, 97 degrees. But why did it just feel worse than that? Why was it just so dang uncomfortable for so long? Yeah, that was the interesting part of this summer. Uh, It wasn't the heat. It really was the humidity, as the old saying goes. And, of course, we're used to uh, humid summers here, but this was way above normal, Uh, very tropical, because the general airflow was almost always either out of the Gulf of Mexico or off the Atlantic or sometimes both. Mm-hmm. So we just went months and months with dew points in the 70s, whereas uh, and dew point is a measure of moisture. The higher the number, the greater the relative humidity. And uh, normally we would have uh, dew points uh, in the 60s and only once in a while in the 70s. But we were 70 to 75 almost every single day all summer long. So oh. it truly was uh, a, a steam bath kind of kind of <laughs> summer and that's why it, it felt so uncomfortable even though we didn't have any extreme temperatures we didn't have any triple digit temperatures uh we hardly had anything over 95 most high temperatures were in the upper 80s to, to low 90s and over the past couple of decades uh that has not been the case we've been uh having temperatures of 95 and 100 or higher uh frequently in in most summers over the past couple of de- decades and of course, that humidity fueled enough thunderstorms where uh, we we kept the uh, drought away, which is another thing that we have seen so many droughts over the past uh, few decades. This year, no drought uh, during the actual summer months. Rainfall was one to two inches either side of normal across the entire metro area. Wow. If aliens landed and looked at Georgians' social media accounts They would just never believe that because we had some great stuff, a good sense of humor about the humidity. And you you saw them, Kirk, all the memes and all people's complaints. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I want folks to get to know you just a little bit better. I know they've listened to you on the radio for so long. And just like doing the traffic reports, you, you don't have time for much personality. You're in, you're out, you're telling the facts, but you're on. 24-7, 24-7, billboarded for years, and it is true, Atlanta Radio's only full-time meteorologist. So I'm going to take a quick break, Kirk, and bring you back because I want you to let folks know what your schedule is like. I bet it's kind of crazy. And then I have another All question. Right. We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break and check traffic and weather. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. 
Looking at the weather for your weekend, a high of around 85 today, low around 71. Rain chance anywhere between 40 and 60%. And tomorrow, 40%. It's a little higher tomorrow afternoon. Chance of showers and highs around the mid-80s. Our very own meteorologist, Kirk Mellish, is back with me. So I love the promos that we do for the station. Atlanta Radio's only full-time meteorologist. And, you know, people think about it and they're like, huh. He is, because we have Brad Nitz filling every now and then. Used to have David Chanley filling, but but you're it. So how do you keep a schedule and just that on-call, 24-7 kind of mentality? Even before the uh, Internet, or as the Internet was just getting started, they installed uh, communications equipment in my house so that if, you know, a severe storm or tornado broke out at an odd hour of an odd day, I could get right on and deliver that. And that's continued to this day. So I'm constantly connected uh, to the station seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day as needed. So, yeah, it has created an odd uh, lifestyle you know, <laughs> sp- <laughs> based on, you know, get up at two, two o'clock in the morning to do the prep for the show, Atlanta's Morning News, that starts at 4.30. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a lot of prep time. Then you do the show and then you get a break starting at 9.00. Then the weather is recorded for a while in between, unless there's breaking weather. And then I start up again, usually about 2 or 3 in the afternoon until uh, roughly 7 o'clock if conditions are normal. So it's it's an odd schedule, and, you know, you can't completely – let loose, as it were, just in case some crazy weather come, comes up. So you have to always uh, have your wits about you, if, if at all possible. And, you know, I could go to bed at 8 o'clock yeah. uh, in the evening or something. But for some reason, not being a 12-year-old, I just can't do that. So <laughs> basically, I'm just tired all the time. <laughs> oh, man. Deprived. So that goes back to college days, right? Well, you were working from home then before working from home really became cool. Oh, absolutely. And it became, uh, you know, home only. I used to drive into the office uh, for the first half of my career. But yeah, it's been a couple of decades now that I was doing the COVID thing before COVID was cool, even though it's not cool. No, and you're doing it very well. (laughs) Like you just actually told the little secret that, you know, occasionally there are days during the week where in the afternoons, lunchtime and all that, you're recorded. People may not have known that. They literally thought you were live every single, every single weather forecast. Believe it or not, humans need some (laughs) downtime and I'm not a robot. (laughs) And speaking of being human and you are out there, you interact with people, you've got a great appreciation for some of the suburb downtown districts. I've seen you in downtown Marietta and Ackworth and Duluth, cities like that, they just have fun, well-landscaped, lively, like that old-style feel, you know, in the downtown areas. So what draws you out just being out and about and enjoying life? Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a foodie, for one, uh, so that gets me uh, out looking for new cool spots. Yeah. I'm a big fan of of architecture, so I like cool uh, restaurants that have been converted from some old uh, historic building or, or whatever. And I also probably the closest thing I have to a non-weather hobby is is live music. I just love live music, and a lot of these uh, places have that, and uh, many of them even have it in gardens, uh, the beautiful gardens like up in uh, Century House in Woodstock. Yeah. And I'm able to to do that even during COVID times because it's outside and socially distanced. So. Yeah, that's that's my thing, uh, being out and mixing with uh, people and listening and watching uh, uh, live music. And there's a great uh, local live music uh, scene here in Georgia. 
our colleagues, because I live in the suburbs and so do you, some of them think we're crazy. Kirk, we live so far away from the station. Why would you commute 35 minutes one way with no traffic? I mean, really, you've got everything you need. We don't have to go to downtown Atlanta for all of that anymore. Folks may see you out and about and uh, buy Kirk a drink or buy Kirk a meal. I mean, he he would love that. (laughs) And y'all could sit and chat and listen to some live music together. Well, I want to ask you one last thing before you go. What are some of the weather services or the sources that you trust most that maybe nowadays folks are empowered to follow some of those things themselves and maybe learn a little bit more? Well, yeah, I use uh, the National Weather Service and NOAA, um, all of their different platforms. I use those very heavily. And also uh, something that people might not uh, think about is many universities have meteorology programs of one kind or another. Uh, and so I uh, rely on them uh, as well for, for data and information. And what I like about those choices is not only is the information uh, viable and, and accurate, it's not sensationalized. There are a lot of other sources out there that I won't name. They're more interested in, in getting eyeball, eyeballs and, yes. and clicks and retweets and those kind of things. And so they go for the biggest, scariest headlines instead of just uh, playing it straight the way I try to do on social media, on the radio, and in my blog at wsvradio.com. Probably the biggest misnomer that people have about the weather is that there's just one forecast and it's delivered by different people, but it's the same forecast mm-hmm. and nothing could be further than the truth. Well, and it's, I mean, there's got to be an art to it because the more educated you are in your profession, there's an art to how you're interpreting that data and someone who's not as educated or in a different part of the country, they may interpret it differently, right? Oh, absolutely. And of course, training for forecasting the weather is a lot different now. All they teach is is computer models. Here's the computer model that says this, and so you point to it and, and say the same thing. But back when I was <laughs> learning it, uh, we only had a couple of computer models, and they they didn't show you very much. You had to actually interpret the data to turn all these symbols into snow or rain and so forth. You didn't have the future radar and the five-day neighborhood backyard for- forecast and so, so <laughs> right. forth. Uh, we actually, you know, had to understand how meteorology and the atmosphere works rather than saying, okay, what does the computer say? So it's becoming a, a lost art and a, and a lost part of the science. And unfortunately, same thing goes with, you know, uh, websites on your computer and, and your phone apps. Those are fed by just one computer, no human intervention involved, and it's not even the best computer. When you're talking about websites and things, too, this is one that you and Walter may have had in common. And, of course, the College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences at UGA puts it out. But GeorgiaWeather.net, do you visit that one? I have been known to visit that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Very good uh, resource right there. I referred folks to it a lot because it's got average temperature. It's got rainfall, also like soil temperature. You know, that's important for a lot of things like seeding lawns right now. You know, you definitely want to make sure it's even got you used to have to, I guess, visit the Farmer's Almanac for this stuff, but it's got the general first frost date and the last frost date of, of every year. So that's really oh, sure. helpful for gardeners. Yeah, check out the uh, Georgia State Climatology Office, State Climatologist Office. That's uh, Pam Knox over there at uh, UGA and uh, uh, the uh, Georgia uh, Agriculture uh, weather site as well. Those are good recommendations. Well, Kirk, I want to leave folks with how to find you. All right. My blog is at wsvradio.com. I do my forecast page there and all of my blogs where I go in-depth on uh, whatever is of interest in uh, the weather at the time. Sometimes it can be a forecast. Some 
times it can be something that's happening in the tropics or California, whatever it might be, whatever the hot topic that has my interest or local people's interest, I'll go into in-depth uh, with maps and charts and explanations. So, And you can follow me on Twitter at Mellishmeter. WSB. So at Malishmeter WSB. Kirk, it's really been a lot of fun to catch up with you and get to know you a little bit better. I haven't gotten to see you in years. We miss each other at the station, but uh, keep in touch. And if you ever just want to jump on the show any other time, my gosh, I would welcome it. All right. I really appreciate you having me on, Ashley. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Slowly creeping up to about 76, 77 degrees outside right now. Welcome back to Green and Growing halfway through the show. Thanks for being here this morning. Maybe some of you are having a lazy weekend knowing good and full well that uh, you've got some rain in the forecast and you know you're working hard you uh, had a short week last week if you were off Monday Labor Day so you work Tuesday through Friday but God sometimes those four-day work weeks seem like the longest they just stretch on well no matter what you're thinking of doing outside even if you don't have a yard even if you don't have a landscape and you want to beautify your patio your balcony your deck anything like that this is the time when that green thumb starts itching, even if you've got the black thumb, too. There's just some basic things you need to get started. You need a pot or the right growing container. You need a medium, like a soil or maybe more of a sandy soil if you want to do some succulents. And you need a plant. You need something to put in there, something to beautify your area and something to take care of. And water, of course. So dumbing it down like that makes it sound really easy and really attractive. And I know there's things you want to try. 404-872-0750. Anything you may be having trouble with or you want identified, you can certainly call the show. And if I can't help you, we help each other out. So one thing that I would like to talk about that I've been doing on the Facebook page now for a number of weeks is putting up every Tuesday, I try to put up a photo of a new weed a weed that you maybe are spotting in your lawn that you don't know the name of, that you want to control, that you just want to stop it from growing, right? So that's something that we're trying to learn together and just plot along as we get into the winter months when a lot of that stuff is going to die back. But when you go on Green and Growing WSB on the Facebook page, that's one of the best resources. There's so many things about gardening that are visual, so I can only do so much on the radio, but I direct you to the Facebook page because I can go a little more in-depth and provide photos, and, and you can see each other's comments and all of that and learn from one another. But in this case, the photo album is Weed of the Week, and that's something Walter and I started together years ago, and I'm really bringing back a fresh look to that. So get on there, see what weeds you've got, how to control them, how to identify them. This last one that I did was Kylinga, which I, I knew the weed, I knew everything about it except the name. So it took me a few days to figure it out. But it's one that, sure, it's annoying. It's growing in my fescue where it doesn't belong. It's a lighter shade of green than any of the fescue blades around it. But it smells great. It almost reminds me of like a smell of a lemongrass. And it's got funny little seed heads and petals 
or grass blades that radiate radiate out from the seed heads. But uh, easy to spot in the landscape. It's a perennial weed. It shows up in most lawn grasses in late summer. So it's in the sedge family. A sedge killer is going to be best for that. And it grows in areas that are poorly drained and frequently wet. So the portion of my lawn that it grows along, that absolutely fits the mold there as well. So see stuff like that, you're going to be able to see and identify and know how to treat. And someone, Ian, he he piped in on the Facebook page as well and said, yeah, you hand pull them, which is what I do. They just come out by the clump, but you need to make sure you get the rhizomes. That's how it stays a perennial weed because those rhizomes stay in the ground. So you've just got to be religious and numerous sweeps over time to get them out. So it is from the Sedge family. Well, Jason and I, my producer of the show, we were talking off air because of uh, Walter and I's conversation about cool season vegetables and some things that uh, are easy to grow. One of those things, I've tried potatoes, so I'm going to harvest those here pretty soon. And I did sweet potatoes. A lot of you harvested potatoes earlier in the year already. Sweet potatoes, though, growing them in a large container on the back deck They've taken a long time to come to maturity, and they're not quite there yet. So one of the things I wanted to know was when they're ready to harvest, because the potatoes are underground. How do you know? You can't see them. How do you know when they're ready to harvest? So one of the things with the sweet potatoes is the foliage and those potato vines start to yellow and start to wilt, and that's going to be a good indication of when it's ready to dig in that dirt. And when you dig in the dirt, when you know you're going to harvest them, when the foliage starts to yellow and die back a little bit, then you know you want to stop watering because you don't want the chance for the potatoes to split or get over wet or anything like that. So you'll stop watering for a little bit, maybe just a week or two. And then when you harvest them, you want to air dry them. You want to let them sit in a shady spot, but warm somewhere where the temperatures are maybe in the low 80s and let them dry out, and then you can store them, and they're ready for the pantry or wherever you want to keep them for a while. So the same thing goes for garlic. Jason, you and I were talking about garlic, and what was the question you had for me? I was just wondering when you plant it and how you know when it's ready, because if you don't have it in a clear pot or something, I... How do you know when the bulb's ready? Exactly, right? How are you going to know? So I had to do a little more research on that. And garlic is something where, you know, you take the avocado pit out with the kids and you stick the toothpicks in it. I've done that. Yes, you know, and you put it over uh, the top of a glass and let the roots grow into the water. Garlic, to me, is the same kind of like fun thing that you could do with the kids. It's going to take months, so it's going to require some patience. But something fun where you can literally take a clove of garlic that you've bought from the grocery store. Don't peel it. Don't take anything off of it. Pop it about two inches into the ground. And it's amazing to think just that one little toe, that one little clove of garlic is going to produce a whole bulb later on. So Jason, you had me look because I was thinking, oh good, I'm going to start garlic now. La la la. Can't harvest it until May or June. That's a while, but that's when you would be getting your beds ready and stuff for uh, next year's summer flowers, that kind of thing. So it'll work. That's true. That's true. So I was thinking with my uh, wife's garden out front, it's mostly summer flowers right now. So we're going to start pulling that stuff out very soon. So you've got room for garlic and you're not going to be having, you know, really planting much else in there over the wintertime. So the garlic is going to take up some real estate for a good number of months. Yeah. And if the, I was looking at it online, the flowers are super pretty. I'm excited about it. They are, aren't they? Me too. So you and I, we need to start a race. We need to start a race to do garlic. I'm going to just lie and bring in 
want to get at the store <laughs> and be like, look, mine, mine only took three weeks. What's wrong with <laughs> yeah. you? I'm going to catch you. I'm going to know if you did that. But I'm going to try it legit. So plant each clove about two inches deep, and they need maybe eight to 12 inches of spacing. I'm only going to try a couple of cloves. I, I really don't want to take up that much real estate to try this. But now's a good time to do that. Like I said, keep the clove unpeeled. And then you'll water a lot. Don't over-fertilize. That could be detrimental, but make sure they stay watered. And then over the wintertime, they just kind of chill. They just kind of do their thing, come back to life in March or April. And then that's when you really want to start babying them again. And yeah, who knew? By May, June, July, you'll have garlic cloves. So that's a long process. And to get back to Jason's question of when to harvest. So you're going to see the growth come up above the soil. And it's the same thing when that kind of starts to fade. If it's set a flower, which the flower is kind of like this round pom-pom looking thing. If it's set a flower, it's a little past time to harvest. It's still okay to harvest at that point. But really when you start to see the foliage that's growing above ground start to wilt and fade, that's telling you it is time to get out. 404-872-0750. Up to Bartow County, we say good morning to Ralph in Cartersville. Hey, welcome to the show. Good morning. Um I've got uh, I've got hostas up front in in front of my townhome, and every year we cut it back, and every year it grows back, which is good. Yes. But every single year, after a a, a month or two, maybe maybe two and a half months, the leaves start to turn like a crispy brown on the outside, and by the time we cut them back, they all look terrible. Um, I got some kind of bug spray and sprayed that this year. That didn't help. Any ideas? Now, the bug spray wouldn't help because I really don't think you have a problem with pests. One of the the main indicators of any pests that's going to be bothering a hosta is holes in the leaves, whether it's slugs or caterpillars or something like that. But any time with houseplants, with hostas, with most things, if they turn that crunchy brown, that's indicative of water, either too much or too little. And Ralph, I'm going to say that's probably leaf burn. There's a good chance that those hostas are getting too much sun. So we like to think of putting hostas in the same type setting that ferns are happy and that hellebores or Lenten rose are happy and they don't get like direct full sun. Where are they? They they are in the front. They don't get sun until the uh, afternoon, the late afternoon. But I do water every morning. Is that too much? Maybe. Yep, that could be the case. Yeah, like I said, any browning of the leaves is something indicative of water. It is not happy. It's trying to tell you something. So hostas are pretty uh, drought tolerant to a point, Um, but when you're out there watering other things every now and then, you'll want to hit them up, especially in those dry, dry, dry summer months where we're just not getting rain maybe for long stretches of time, two weeks or so. So yes, you are probably overwatering, and that's kind of indicative of the roots becoming just too saturated and they're not on the problem yeah yep so yeah i know many gardeners don't water enough and you are actually being very attentive and over watering so i would change your i go out every morning yeah every morning i go out and do it yeah totally not necessary so i would honestly say hostas you could probably not water but every six to eight days if there's no rain every six to eight days. And believe it or not, that's going to be plenty for them. And two, a question, if you've got them lining a bed or just in a clump in a bed, have you ever dug them up and divided them? They're kind of separated by at least a few feet um, uh, each one. I have 
One, two, three, four, five. I've got six of them. Okay, and they're but not they're, growing into they, each other. They're able to get like nope. good air circulation and all of that. Absolutely. Great. Okay, then you've got them situated and primed for success with the way they are. But uh, just back off a little bit. Go do something else. Maybe direct your attention toward a pet or something like that instead of watering so much. And, too, Ralph, you don't even have to cut them back, as you had mentioned. Like, they will just start to fade and, you know, you, you get the growth, you get the stems with the pretty purple flowers. And those I pull out once they become brown and hollow, I pull those out. But the leaves will eventually just start to wilt away and then just die. So no cutting necessary. That'll save you a little bit of work, too. But less is more in your case, I think, with the hostas. Do a little less and you'll you'll actually be amazed at how much they're going to reward you and how much they're going to flourish. So thanks for the call. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Stay tuned. Coming up after the break, David and Tucker is up next. What's the difference between dahlias? If there's a seasonal one, an annual one, I think they're all, uh, well, some should be perennial. So we'll get to the bottom of David's question. And yours too, 404 taking calls right up through the end of the show. And at 8.30, we'll talk to Pike Nursery, and they're going to educate us and school us a little bit on some of the uh, fall-blooming flowers that we love having in our landscape. So we'll be right back. I'm Ashley Frasca. This is Green and Growing on WSB. Weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing and Channel 2 Action News meteorologist uh, Brad Nitz says highs today in the mid-80s. I do promise a cool down, folks. It's coming sooner than you think. A low around 71. Rain chances are a little higher than we would like today, 40 to 60 percent. And then tomorrow you've got a chance of scattered thunderstorms that increases in the afternoon and a rain chance around 40 percent. Again, high around the mid-80s and low around 70. Green. Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Want to get back to calls, so I'll go through this quickly. Number one, if you're not planning on seeding a lawn right now, you can use a pre-emergent herbicide. You've got to prevent winter annual weeds like bluegrass and chickweed and henbit. So some of the ones I recommend, Weed Beater Complete. BioAdvance makes one three-in-one weed and feed for southern lawns or Scott's halts and always read the label directions on those bags of pre-emergent. Number two, you may find spring flowering bulbs on sale now, which is great. Don't plant them just yet, though. You got to wait until soil temperatures around 60 degrees or so. Wait till early October. You can go to georgiaweather.net. You heard Kirk and I talk about that website, georgiaweather.net, to discover when soil temperatures start to decline. And number three, maintaining perennials, which we're getting ready to talk to David about, dahlias. Remove some of the dead foliage in the stems now, but they do need some of that foliage to feed back to the plant. So you'll notice most perennials eventually become overcrowded as well, and a lot of them require division every three to five years. So you can do that now. Mature clumps, and just like hostas we talked about, they can be cut or pulled apart with a shovel or carefully with a knife, and divisions should usually contain three to five new shoots or areas in which they're growing. So, David and Tucker, I've built up to your call about dahlias. What's going on? What's your question? Well, um, yeah, I called around uh, not too long ago and was asking about dahlias and was going, well, those are perennials. I said, well, we only have the annuals. I said, well, are there perennials? Hmm. Well, sort of, but we don't have those. Uh, so I'm not quite sure 
what is the dahlia? Are there specific annuals and specific perennials, or are these, you know, the notorious fragile perennials, or what's the deal? That's very interesting, because I generally know them as perennials, um, but they... They, the the different varieties and things like that, you really got to check out because they're not for hot climates. So I think maybe in Georgia there are some that are a little more heat tolerant because we do get so hot here. So one of the best resources for that is the Dahlia Society of Georgia, and they do have a website, literally DahliaSocietyOfGeorgia.com, and there they recommend the ones that are a little more heat tolerant. But as far as them being tubers and being perennial, I've always known them as such. And in the fall, you don't have to think about even digging them out. They are able to tolerate mild freezes so you can leave them. But as it were with elephant ears, with canna lilies, uh, hostas, not so much, but dahlias, everything like that needs a good layer of mulch or pine straw or something like that to help it be able to overwinter in the ground so that we don't have to dig them up. Um, in the case of dahlias, some of the roots, they really grow like just one inch below the soil. So that's why mulching is so important and for insulation and all of that. But yeah, actually, I mean, no need to dig them up. Visit that website for a lot of the varieties. There's more than I could list off, David, but you should be able to get your hands on some that are perennial and they really don't need to be divided or transplanted or anything until, you know, every third or fifth year. Okay, well, that, that's very helpful because uh, people I was talking to didn't seem to be too clear on things. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I don't know why you would get your hands on one that's just an annual, unless like it, it's just not you know a heat-tolerant variety and it just really struggles to make it through uh, the hot summers. You know, So if you get the right variety for sure meant for the South and you maintain it pretty well over the winter months and mulch it, it should be fine. And they do like compost, some kind of really good airy soil, and it's got to be well-drained as well. They're really susceptible to root rot. Um, and, what's, and we all know that that's the very nature of uh, Georgia soil. Yes, right. I know. We've got that <laughs> compacted Georgia red clay that doesn't drain worth anything. Sometimes it becomes so dry, it's like concrete, right? It's like you're digging in cement. So I want to see uh, or, you know, hear from you what varieties you decide on, David, because I know you've got a green thumb. So if you pick the right varieties and put them in the right place, you should be fine. Great. Thank you very much. All right. Always good to hear from you. Thank you so much. 404-872-0750. And what I was going to share with David and the rest of you, too, if you want to cut the stalks off, you know, which you need to, we we're just talking about the way you need to maintain your perennials and just get everything in fall mode and winter mode. If you cut the stalks off, what's the best advice so that we don't get any of that root rot and we're able to overwinter them properly? This is interesting. Cut the stalk off. Put a cap of tin foil with a rubber band over what's left of the stalk coming out of the ground because if a lot of water sits in that stalk, it's going to rot it. So if you see little you know, pods of tin foil in your neighbor's lawn, you may think, they've got dahlias. So I just taught you something new. Grant in North Lake coming up with a question about auto Luke and laurels and your calls 404-872-0750. Having fun on Green and Growing this morning. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Well, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.